bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! <laughs> Ho, ho, fucking ho. My favorite ho, Troy. How are you? What is up with you, <laughs> Roger Connors? These greetings. Yes, these <laughs> greetings. Yes, what a wonderful holiday season this has turned out to be, huh? It is. You know what? I got to say this. I got to say this. For this year being like the what it's been, um, I feel like people are extra festive this year because if they don't, like dive into the holidays they're going to lose their minds so like i feel like people are venting their frustration and like their claustrophobic like paranoia because everyone's cooped up they're venting it in like holiday displays i don't know if you've noticed but like the christmas displays this year are phenomenal um i've not seen a christmas look this extravagant in a long time so uh i'm thankful for that looking for the little miracles right now oh absolutely uh, yeah, I mean, I, I get that. I've I have not been very festive this year. This is like the first year in a long time that I haven't decorated or put up any anything. Um, but you know, hey, it's it's still Christmas time, and it's still um, you know a wonderful time to just appreciate. I guess that we've made it through another year, and yeah, somehow, some way, yeah. <laughs> Reasons to be thankful. There are still reasons to be thankful. We put up a tree, my lovely boyfriend and I. We put up a tree. Um, my first time putting up a Christmas tree, probably in about ten years. Um, and you know what? I'm feeling it. I'm feeling the the um, the the Christmas season. It's in my blood. Um, uh, so I'm I'm all for it. I'm diving in. This is rare for me. I think it's because I'm you know in a healthy relationship. And, and it's allowing for me to enjoy the season, whereas a lot of people I think are just over this year to begin with. But you know what? With Christmas and with the holidays comes um, comes one of my favorite genres mm-hmm. of horror, and that is the yes, holiday horror. Which film. is why we are bringing you this kind of little bonus extra special episode this week. Since it's Christmas week and we are horror fans, uh, we both... I know Roger and me both love holiday horror. Um, it's, yeah, it's one of our favorites. And it's really cool, you know, to see uh, on social media all the other horror fans that are, like, posting the, the holiday-themed horror films that they're watching each day. I mean, I know that's a big thing to do for, for horror fans in December is, like, each day watch a different holiday horror-themed film, which – I definitely partake in. I dig out my my old favorites every year and try to find new favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so but we're gonna do something a little bit kind of different this week uh, for you guys. So yeah, talk about it, Roger. Yeah, you know, well, yeah, I, I agree on that in saying that the the holiday horror film is one of my favorite subgenres. Um, because I do love the spirit of Christmas and I also love the violence of horror. And when you get those worlds to collide, the, the many gifts it gives. Um, 
And the Christmas season is about gift giving. And we're going to give you guys some gifts today because uh, one strange fact about Troy and I, one thing we share in common, it's very uh, unique, is, you know, aside from being podcast personalities, we are also uh, filmmakers and we both are known. And I say that uh, we are known um, not by many, but by the few that know of who we are. <laughs> we are known for, each of us known for our own unique holiday horror film. Troy is known for directing the uh, the slasher known as Mrs. Claus, originally entitled Stirring. And I am known for a film you may or may not have heard of, known as Mother Krampus 2, Sleigh Ride. It is somehow attached to a movie called Mother Krampus, which it has no relation to. And we'll get into that. Um, it has no relation to Mother Krampus, but it is a Christmas horror film. And, um, and it does succeed in that. And that is one thing it is known for, for being both Christmas and horror. Other than that, it doesn't succeed at much, but we're going to talk about it anyways. Um, so we thought it would be interesting, since this is a season of success for both of us, to maybe discuss our individual projects, as well as the projects that have inspired us uh, in this subgenre. Some of our favorite films fall under this subgenre, and it's going to just be really fun to talk about this, I think. So this is a little different. Troy and I are going to give you something, a holiday gift. Yeah, we're going to, I mean, I think we're going to, we're going to share with you some stuff. If you, if you guys have seen either film, Mrs. Claus or Mother Krampus 2, we'll, we're going to share some probably stuff that you don't know or, or haven't heard and, and make, like behind the scenes of, of actually filmmaking. Because, you know, a lot goes into putting these films together. And it's really interesting. Yeah, the, the our film, these two films, I think were filmed ar- around the same time and they actually came out the same time. I think Mother, I can't remember if it was, mother, like one of them came out a week before the other. I can't remember how it was. I can't remember if uh, Mother Krampus 2 came out the week before Mrs. Claus did or vice versa. But they came out virtually the same time. So it, it is really interesting. And if you watch them, watching them, you know, watching Mother Krampus 2, there are some kind of interesting similarities to the film, to, to both films. Yeah, you know, it's cool. The one cool thing about these films for us, and you and I specifically and are, are getting to know each other, is, you know, we were friends on social media. But like you said, you know, we were working at these at the same time. We had these films come out around the same time. There's no way they could have really influenced each other or anything because we hadn't met at this point. We just, what, like, what are the chances? We're both attached to these films that are, um, that kind of ended up, to a certain extent, defining our careers, at least up to this point. Um, it just, it was ironic and it really, I think, helped define our friendship too because uh, it's something that you and I share. So it's going to be a lot of fun talking about this and um, picking each other's brains, you know? Yeah. So, Troy, if you don't mind, I'm just going to jump into, I got a series of questions here uh, that I've been aching to ask you, um, because we've never really talked about these projects in depth. But um, just diving right into it, Mrs. Claus, originally entitled Stirring, um, what was the inspiration for this? This was your second film, correct? Yeah. So what, what inspired for you to go this route uh, after Party Night? What, what, what inspired this for you? The, uh, you know, my favorite horror film of all time is, is Black Christmas, the original Black Christmas. Uh, I even have a Black Christmas tattoo. I mean, it's, it's, it's my, I, I love the film to death. So, uh, and I'm a big 80s slasher fan. So there was a point where once I realized, oh my gosh, I could make a film when I, when I did Party Night, I, I kind of 
had in the back of my mind, if I could make two types of films in my lifetime, I would be ecstatic. And one of them would be an 80s throwback slasher. And that's what Party Night was, a very basic 80s throwback slasher film that follows the slasher formula to a T. And then the other one was a Christmas-themed slasher film. So, yeah, so that's basically... That I just wanted to do a Christmas theme slasher because, like I said, Black Christmas is my favorite horror film of all time. But I also love the more obscure Christmas horror films like To All a Good Night, um, you know, Silent Night, Deadly Night. Though that's not really obscure, but those types of films that are able to create, like you mentioned at the beginning, I think this is one of the reasons why I think Christmas horror is so appealing to me because you take like the beauty, the peacefulness. Uh, of the holiday season, the Christmas season, and then pair it with horror and gruesomeness. And there's just something about it that, that just is really uneasy, um, but also beautiful. I mean, so yeah, I mean, that was, that's it. I just kind of come up with a story that kind of fit around Christmas and, and tied Christmas into the story um, in a, in a deeper level than a lot of, I think other Christmas themes, horror films do. Um I feel like with Mrs. Claus, Christmas definitely has something to do with the plot. There are other Christmas themed horror films that have come out and we could talk about this at some point, you know, maybe later that I feel like they're called Christmas horror films, but Christmas really has nothing to do with the actual plot of the film. It's more like a set piece. So I wanted Christmas to be really important to, to, to stirring Mrs. Claus when I was writing it and, and making it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, and I, I do know we've talked about the fact that Black Christmas, the original Black Christmas, an iconic film, um, is your favorite. Uh, we've talked about that because it's one of my my favorites as well. Um, and I also love the 2006 remake, which I know is a topic that people are, so you know, they have one opinion or another. But um, that is like uh, the Black Christmas. It was really definitive for me. Um, and so knowing that about you, I think that was one of the early topics we really got into. Uh, while becoming friends was discussing that film and the scenes with Olivia Hussey uh, at the bottom of the stairwell and how suspenseful it was, how it really managed to capture that element of suspense while, yeah, being a very beautiful movie. Um, what aspects from Black, Black Christmas specifically, uh, how did that influence your film? And are there any key moments in Mrs. Claus that are like directly, like direct nods or hat tips to the original Black Christmas? Oh boy, that's a good question. I feel like, you know, obviously both films are set in a sorority house or, you know, yeah, both films take place in a sorority house. Both of them deal with the sorority. Um, I, I like, I think that Black Christmas is such a festive looking film in terms of how it's constructed and in the set design that Christmas is heavily felt when you watch that film it captures the christmas atmosphere very very well so when i was doing mrs claus one of my goals was to have like christmas something christmas in every shot like in the background something christmas in every shot and if you watch the film knowing that that was kind of my mindset and you you watch it with that in mind you will see that we pretty much accomplished that there's maybe like one scene where there's nothing Christmas in the shot, but we really tried to make it look as festive as possible because when you watch the original black Christmas and the 2006 remake, which I feel like a lot of people are coming around to now, 
Very much so. I think ahead of its time. Yeah, when yeah. it came out, it was widely hated because it took such a different route than the original. But now I feel like, <laughs> especially after the disaster that was 2019 Black Christmas, people are coming around Ugh. to the 2006 and being like, hey, you know what? This one's not as bad as we originally thought. That, that Both films capture that Christmas atmosphere extremely well one of my favorite scenes from black christmas is the scene where olivia hussey goes upstairs and she pushes her bedroom door open and sees the uh margo kidder and uh phil barb and phil's bodies on the bed and she hears that agnes it's mm-hmm. me billy and she, you see the eyeball through the door crack that is such a effective yep. scary ass scene and that's actually my tattoo is that scene now i say that because ironically I did use that same concept, that same shot, but I did not use it in, in, in Mrs. Claus. It's actually in Party Night. But mainly it's like the, 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 the mm-hmm. influence of Black Christmas on Mrs. Claus is mainly just the, the, the whole concept of someone killing people off on, you know, on, during Christmas, the fe- most festive time of the year. And, you know, the sorority tie. And I knew that when I, yeah. when I wanted to do a slasher, a Christmas-themed horror film, I knew I wanted it to take place at, at a sorority house to kind of give it that nod to Black Christmas. Yeah, and it's – I feel like, uh, yeah, going back and watching the film now and, and just knowing that we filmed this, a little trivia, because your film definitely looks Christmassy because of you're in Cleveland. I think it was filmed in Cleveland in the winter. So there's snow – it looks cold out on the exterior shots. We filmed Mrs. Claus in June in Houston when it's 105 degrees out. So that was a big challenge was making the film look like Christmas when it was June in Houston. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. Oh, my God. <laughs> like all those girls in sweaters and everything. I feel horrible. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of the sorority opening, um, and that whole sequence with Mel Heflin, God love her, that opening kill sequence. I want to talk about that for a second. It has, it is, it's this really well executed hanging sequence. Um, and I want to know how you guys pulled that off. Cause it was honestly, you guys opened on this really strong note and that whole shot of like the feet dangling and everything. It was just really well executed. And I'm curious how you guys did that. That was that was a challenge to do. Let me be honest with you. It, you know, we we not only pulling off the stunt with the actress, but also just kind of giving it. You know, that's the one scene where there was actually snow. We had a snow machine, so there's snow blowing to make it look like to make it look a lot more poetic than you know it probably should have been. But I'm really happy with how that turned out. Uh, basically, what we did was we had the actress, we had her in a harness and. Uh, we suspended her with the rope. The rope really went around her neck, but there was another wire that was uh, attached to the rope that went onto her back and attached to the harness. And then there was another clip like at the neck. So when she pushed the chair off, it didn't look like she was tilted back because it was pulling on her back. So it was two hooks. And yeah, it looks really cool. In fact, someone... Well, there somebody had said I got a comment or I read a comment that said it really reminded them of like the opening of of Scream, um, something that has that impact and that kind of iconic iconicness, which is really kind of cool to hear. Now I would never compare this movie to Scream, but I'm just saying 
to kind of so for someone to come up with that connection. So yeah, and you, you have to give major props to to the actress Mel because she she had to she jumped off that chair numerous times. And then we just used a little bit of CGI touch up to to remove the yeah. the, the the metal um, wire because you could see it. You could see the shoulder parts of the harness, and you could see the metal in the original footage. But we had someone CGI it out. Gotcha. Yeah, it's pretty. That's pretty seamless, to be honest. If you guys get that's where CGI, I think, is its strongest. At least on this budget, is when you use it just you know just enough to like remove a little bit of something or enhance something, and not depending on it. And in that sequence, I wouldn't know that there was any CGI. So that's impressive. Yeah, and I, I, I just I love the look of it. It's probably of all the films I've done, that's probably one of my favorite just overall shots. Is that whole her whole hanging because you get the you get the you get the her hanging there in that bloody gown. You get the the house in the background with the flashing Christmas lights. You get the snow falling down. It's just such a cool image, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's how we did a little movie, a little harness we got for thirty bucks at freaking Home Depot. And I remember we took Mel to Home Depot and we're having her try our harnesses on in the, in the aisle. I'm like, oh, which one's gonna work? But yeah, she like it wouldn't have worked. I don't think as good as if you did not have someone that was had that. I will do whatever attitude because yeah. it was, it was not comfortable for her. It wasn't comfortable at all. Um, the first time she kind of jumped off the chair, she was scared to death that it wasn't going to work and that she was actually going to get hung. So yeah. <laughs> she's a trooper. She's a trooper, man. She's, and she, she'll do whatever it takes. God love her. She's a good girl. Um, and, and you worked with her again since, and I understand why, because she'll uh, do whatever it takes to make a scene work. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I think that's, yeah, you're right. I mean, that scene, obviously, you got, it, it opens on such a strong note. Um, that being said. And then it all goes downhill. <laughs> no, oh, no, no, no. No, not at all. What do you say? No, <laughs> no, I was going to say is, would you consider that your favorite death? And if, if not, what is your favorite death in the movie? Because, I mean, there are plenty of kills in, in Mrs. Claus. Well, okay, so I think, I wouldn't say that's my favorite death. I, I think my favorite death scene, I think there's a tie. I think uh, I think Kaylee's opening death scene with the dildo and the knife is pretty damn bloody and, and disgusting. Uh, but then I also <laughs> really love the shot or the death scene with t- the character of Tyler getting the candy cane shoved down his throat. Um, because the way it was edited and shot together, you, it really looks like it was shoved down his throat. And if you're paying close attention, you see like a squirt of bl- once when the candy cane goes down, you see a squirt of blood shoot out of his mouth. I, I just like the way that turned out. And plus, I'm, I'm partial to that because I played the killer in that particular uh, <laughs> in that particular little scene. I was the one in the Mrs. Claus outfit shoving the candy cane down his throat. <laughs> a great look for you, Troy. <laughs> With your soft feminine physique. <laughs> but yeah, but it's, there's a lot of deaths in Teacher Short, or not Teacher, well, Teacher Short too, but Mrs. Mrs. Claus that are, that are pretty, that turned out pretty well. And you, you got to give major props to the special effects artist, uh, Heather, Heather Benson, who um, did my special effects for um, Party Night too, because she really is kind of like a one woman operation. She shows up on set by herself and does all of this, amazing special effects work by herself and she just ha- she just knows like how to execute 
you know, these, these death scenes, um, and how, you know, to make them look the best they can. And if that's anything, you know, people, people that even like hate the film or give it, you know, zero stars on IMDb or one star and say it's the worst film they all they've ever seen, which I, you know, you're, you, you, as an indie filmmaker, you have to be used to that. But even some of those people that hate the film say they at least say that the death scenes are cool. So, Hey, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think one thing with with Christmas horror, with holiday horror, um, there's a certain like expectation, a level of expectation of really creative uh, kills that also somehow tie in to the season and tie into Christmas imagery. And you've got to be creative because, you know, a lot of these have been done Um, and you've got to find new ways to incorporate certain items or certain sequences or you know even the music and the score like you know a lot of this has been done to a certain variation uh uh, to a certain extent you know so we've got to find new fresh ways to i don't want to say rehash that material to but to make it feel original again um and i do think that mrs claus succeeds with that in um in in several areas uh to provide a really enjoyable experience to be honest I, i really enjoyed the film um you were really lucky for this film uh, to involve some pretty well-known talent from the genre, you know, from the industry, uh, Brink Stevens. This was the first time you worked with her. Yes. And Helene Udy, correct? Yeah. Um, and then both of them tied to, to classic iconic films. How did that come to fruition? Like, how did that happen for you? This was the first time, I mean, really your first film that you incorporated name talent. How did that happen for you? Oh, I'm trying to remember, Roger, you're asking me something that was like, uh, you know, I think um, I had posted, I'm trying to remember, I had posted like a casting notice or something on, you know, on social media. And I remember, um, well, to be honest with you, I I, I wanted to, I, I, I wanted two kind of 80s horror actresses to play those roles. Um, because I, I just felt like it would be a, a real treat for horror fans to see basically, especially with what, you know, at the end of the film, um, mm-hmm. that it would be really cool to see two, um, you know, well-known eighties actresses kind of tackle these roles. And I had, I had a bunch of names that I reached out to, uh, you know, um, Adrian King, Amy Steele, you know, people like that, but it, it just didn't work out because their age, they wanted to get their agents involved and go through all that whole process. And I just being so new to the the whole filmmaking thing, I just did not want to deal with that. Um, but someone had suggested Brink Stevens to me. Um, I'm trying to remember who it was. I think one of my Facebook friends. And so I reached out to her and in, in, on Facebook and sent her the trailer to party night and, and told her, you know, asked her if she'd be interested and, she responded and kind of the rest is history. She read the script, loved the, loved the role. Um, it's, if, if you know anything about, if you've seen Mrs. Claus, you really know that it's a little bit different than what she usually does. Um, it gave her a chance to do something that she just doesn't really ever get to do. Um, Helene, I'm trying to remember as well. I think she reached out to me as well. She s- somehow saw a post I made and reached out to me. And, you know, she's known for my bloody Valentine. Um, she's the one that gets the, probably the most iconic death in that film where she gets impaled on the shower head. She reached out to me and I, you know, I, I thought, Hey, this would be kind of cool. And, and she doesn't really do a lot of stuff. 
Um, she's kind of really picky about what she does. If you, if you notice, um, she isn't one of these actresses that just seems to be in every film. She really is really picky about what she does. So yeah, so she came on board and I was blown away with, with both of them. Um, it was a little intimidating, of course, you know, working with these actresses the first time, but it, I think they both kind of knocked it out of the park and I, um, yeah, it's, that's kind of the rest is history and I'm glad they were attached. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, how, especially like, uh, you know, for you and I as two individuals growing up watching these movies, I mean, my bloody Valentine is one of my personal like, favorites and, and another like holiday based film. So that too is also how cool to have that. Um, and that scene, I mean, is one of those ones that like stands out. So, you know, you know, she's known for that. You know, she has a, a built, uh, the thing with these, you know, iconic screen queens, they have these built in fan bases. Yeah. Um, fanboys will follow them to the end of the earth. And that's one awesome thing about this genre and, and the fans that support them and support us and support indie film. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's really huge when you get some of these names attached because that's, they have defined their careers off of these films. Um, so yeah, that definitely added to the experience of your, of watching your film and really, really, uh, especially building up to that finale. How cool. Um, so, uh, you know, overall, you know, with indie film and you know, this, and I know this, um, the translation from script to screen, there are a lot of changes. Nothing ever turns out the way <laughs> very few things ever turn out exactly how one pictures it uh, for whatever reasons, you know, it may be budget restraints or, you know, just, you know, inability to execute because of timing. Uh, are there any scenes or sequences in the original script that were that drastically changed or differentiate from the original material um, for whatever reasons? Is there anything that, that really changed in the process of making the film? You know what? Honestly, I can say this, and I think it's true with all with all three of my films for the most part. That I think if you read the the, the original stirring script, it's pretty much what's on screen. Um, and the same thing with Party Night. If you read the Party Night script, it's pretty much what's on screen. And same with Teacher Shortage. There was a few things with Teacher Shortage that I wish we could have done, but budget you know budget wise we couldn't. There is one scene in in. Um, there is one scene though in Mrs. Mrs. Claus that we did change a little bit, and that was character of Alexandra and Jake, the two of them that go out into the garage to smoke the, the marijuana. Um, that scene originally was completely different. Like they go, they still go out to the garage, but it it it, it actually escalated into a like a graphic sex scene, and they get impaled while they're having sex on the hood of a car. Much like, you know, it was kind of an homage to the um, death in, in Friday the 13th Part 2, Jeff and Sandra. Like, I've always wanted to do like a double impalement death. Um, however, it just, you know, the actors, we, we had a conversation and, you know, we, we just decided that did, do we really need, you know, a graphic sex scene, we, particularly with kind of the the relationship that these two characters supposedly have, it's more of like a friendship than a sexual thing. So I, the, one of the actors, uh, Drew Shotwell, who plays Jake was like, Hey, let me, let me just kind of rework this in my mind. And you know, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm open to suggestions. And um, so yeah, we basically came up with a more of a um, character development type moment than just a moment to be exploitative. If that makes any sense. 
You know, because yeah. it really was, like I said, in the original script, it was a pretty graphic sex scene. And, and we, and he, we made a point that, you know, you don't really get to know these characters as it is because they're secondary characters. So why don't we give them a little bit of a moment where they can show their personalities instead of just being there to have sex and die. Um, so I let them go at it and they improv, believe it or not, they improvised that entire scene. Uh, they did not, that was not wow. in the script. The, 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 the original script, which is very basic stuff. And then they, they get, go at it, have some, uh, uh, graphic sex and get killed. <laughs> they improvise that whole scene, and I, it's one of my actually it's one of my favorites because it is very touching. It, it's probably the most humorous part of the film because they're talking about Santa getting high, and they're both high themselves, so it just turns into this. And they play off each other so well. And I still got to do a double impalement, just a little bit different. <laughs> <laughs> we all win. Merry Christmas. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, this project. Uh, Included your first queer character. And mm. this is something that you eventually went on to explore further with teacher shortage. Um, yeah. Was this something you had always been planning on like kind of delving into like, you know, just LGBTQ topics, having queer characters eventually with teacher shortage, did you know you wanted to make a gay themed movie or was this something that kind of just like developed as you wrote the script? Oh, girl, no. We this is this was planned, you know. I mean, hello, but um, yes, ma'am. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was it was planned. I mean, I, I've always obviously as a gay man, I've I, I have always wanted to see more representation in in horror films, and it's and we've talked about this. We talked about this in our first episode where it is so ironic that there are so many gay horror fans and gay filmmakers but very few gay themed horror films yeah yeah so party night that was just basically my little friday the 13th type you know nod i didn't really explore any gay themes in that it's just very straightforward two young three young couples um and then yeah with teachers or mrs claus i I had the that that gay character of tyler played by the very talented jace greenwood um, and I wanted to, again, that was a, kind of another little lighthearted moment where him and the character of Monica are outside on the bench talking and he has to tell her that he's gay because she is, she has a crush on him is trying to, to kiss him. It's just something I felt could be very relatable to, to gay men, because I think we've all had that experience where you're like, Oh no, honey, you don't know. That's kind of sad, you know? Um, and there's even that little joke where, the Jake character says, you know, Tyler's gay, or, Tyler, or Monica tells Jake, Tyler's gay ass is still out there. And uh, she says, Jesus Christ, did everyone know? You know, it's just, it, just little things like that. So yes, that's the, that was always the plan. And then, yes, it, it, it's explored much more largely in teacher shortage. So, and so, you know, I'm, I'm getting gayer and gayer as I go along, Roger. Well, thank God. I can't wait yeah. for the next one. Glitz and glamour. Oh, oh the next one's <laughs> all out. The musical rushing. numbers will be phenomenal. Yeah, right. <laughs> Speaking of musical numbers, we have to talk about your film too. Oh god. <laughs> well, I only got a few more with this and wrapping it up. Um but I, I do have a few. I I, I do want to know, you know, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, um, with the ending. I was surprised with the ending and the route you took and and you know, you can censor this how much you need. Um, but with the, with the killer reveal, um, and I'm curious, was that planned 
was that written to be that way? Or when you knew that you had certain people cast in certain roles, were you like, I'm going to adjust this uh, specifically for that reason? No. First of all, this might come as a shock because I see people do this all the time. I don't cast films until my script is done. Yeah. Okay. Um, and B, I kind of knew who the killer was going to be when I was writing the script. I'm also, and I, I don't know how, I mean, I, I might be exposing myself as some giant hack here, but I don't, I don't put a lot of, I don't like, sit down and draft out a script and do character backgrounds. I just sit down, I have an idea and I start to write. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't do all, I don't do a lot of pre-writing or pre-planning. Um, I just let it go where it goes. In the original, when I was writing the script the first time, I knew the killer was going to be Mrs. Um, King mm-hmm. or no, Miss what hell, uh, you know, which character I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. Uh, the, the, you know, because she's obvious. You know, right. spoiler alert, but you know, um, but as I was writing it and I was getting towards the end, I'm like, you know what, this is going to be way too predictable. So what can I do to, to, um, to, to kind of give it a twist? So I went back and read it, read the script. And I'm like, you know what, this, this is possible. I could have the second killer and it would kind of make sense. Yeah. It's not really going to be one of those like unbelievable twists. This actually kind of makes sense. Um, because the character that's the second killer is the one that tells them they all have to stay in the house. They can't go anywhere. Nobody else is going to come to the party. Uh, so I thought, Hey, this makes sense. I'm going to throw this twist in here and it'll be a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, that's, it just, I, I, the reason there's a second killer is because I was getting to the end. I thought this is going to be way too predictable and people are going to be kind of mad because the killer was super predictable. So, and it worked, it worked. Yeah. Yeah. And it provided for fanboys, I think it provided for uh, quite a, like, quite unexpected twist that was really kind of a cool moment to see those two individuals mm-hmm. acting together. Like, it was, yeah, yeah. it would definitely added to the experience. Um, all right, so all things being said, this point in the game, now knowing what you know, now you're, you're another film in, uh, what would you have done differently? Can you think of anything that, you know, looking back on the experience, if you could go back and whether it would be, you know, uh, executing a certain scene or rewriting a certain sequence or changing a certain costume piece or anything, what would you do differently? Um, I, I would do a couple, I'll do, I would do two things differently. I think um, one of them kind of the, the biggest thing I wish I could have done differently. And it was a major, it was, it was mainly a budgetary thing is I wish the, location that we film would have been different um that it could have been much more um resembling a actual sorority house um but when you're working with such a tiny budget you kind of have to you you know you kind of have to go with what you can get so we film basically in in a house that's just in the middle of someone's in the neighborhood but we tried to pull it off to make it look we never you know we never showed the real exterior of the house um, so that you don't know what it looked like. Um, we tried to make it seem like it was a much bigger than what it was. Um, and luckily they, the house had that cool backyard and the garage and stuff like that. So, but I still think when I watched the movie in my mind, I'm still like, this is no way this is a sorority house. This is just someone's, you know, <laughs> so, but, but you know, I, I've heard that I've heard people mention that. So I wish I could have afforded, you know, a grand, huge 
Black Christmas style sorority house. But unfortunately, when you have a $10,000 budget, that's a little unattainable um, because nobody's going to let you use their, their home for 16 days and not pay them a pretty penny. So that that's kind of, you know, one of my biggest regrets is I feel, feel like the film would have came off a lot better if it looked like a sorority house. Um, although, I mean, there are sorority houses that actually look like that. If, you know, like community colleges, nobody, you know, has, have small little houses. And then another thing I feel, I like, I feel like some of the scenes get a little talky and I feel like I could have gone back and eliminated some of those more talky scenes. Um, you know, people just sitting around the living room talking. I think that kind of slows the momentum down of the film. It's kind of the same thing we get with, you know, some of these reviews that I've read of teacher shortage where they, they talk about, they love the film, they love the pacing, but then you get to the the party at Sue Steele's house around the table and it really slows the whole momentum of the film down. I just tend to, I guess yeah. that's just, just me. I tend to, that's, I guess maybe one of my, that's my style, I guess. I don't know if you even want to call it that because party night's the same way. Party night has several scenes of them just sitting around talking, but I feel like it's character building to me. I don't know. I mean, yeah. you got to give these characters something to do. I, I, I don't really like to have characters that are, that are there just to be killed off, that don't really have a moment. Right. Sacrificial lamb syndrome. You, you want to actually have that have some meat to it. Yeah. 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 I hear you. I hear you. And, and I have experienced similar criticisms with a few films um, with mother Krampus too. Oh, it's all action at the beginning. Then you go through about 40 minutes of just character development and then there's more kills you know I, I think one thing i've learned is like the importance of if you're going to have a slasher or a horror movie the importance of like dispersing your violence sprinkling it throughout mm-hmm. the film to keep the gore hounds mm-hmm. at bay that's one thing that um i'm learning is uh, they are not appeased unless every 15 minutes you know <laughs> like there's gotta be kill 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 but that's difficult it's hard when you're developing a script and you're trying to flesh out characters it's difficult to uh, uh go back and forth from violence to story and have it make sense um so but hey it's it's a I learning mean, curve have to think about that when you're constructing it when you're constructing a script and you have you're working with a handful of, of characters uh, because like mother krampus too there's not a there's not a, a terrible terribly large amount of characters um, same thing with, with Mrs. Claus. Mrs. Claus probably has more characters than any of my films, honestly. Um, but yeah. you still don't have that many characters. So when you're writing a script, you have to think about how you can, how are you going to get these characters alone to be killed? And it just, ha- it just ha- kind of has to naturally flow. Um, you know, just, yeah, I mean, I would rather get to know, I mean, maybe I'm a little bit different. I'd rather get to know characters a little bit more than just have them get killed off because then when they get killed, I feel like it's a little bit more effective because you've been attached to the character and you don't want to see them die or maybe you do want to see them die, but they're annoying, but at least you got to know their personality. Yeah. Yeah. I I do. One thing that does drive me crazy is, is when you watch a film and you can't differentiate between the characters because there's been so little time invested. There are so many movies I've watched. But that's the case. There's so many I've been in that that's the case. You know, I've I've played so many characters where like I don't even remember my character's name. I just know how I died. But um, all right. So end of the day, my, um, uh, Mrs. Claus mm-hmm. out. This is what the, the second, third Chris, Christmas now. Second this or is, third is what this is, is the third. This is the third Christmas. The third um, Christmas, third holiday season that yeah. um, that you've gotten to bask in the glow. 
of, of having a Christmas horror movie because the one nice thing about having a film like this is it always comes back and it's always acknowledged. Um, you know, it's on some list or someone's viewed it. You can find it hashtagged, whatever. Um, what are the chances of getting a sequel? Well, you know what? A sequel is in the works. Um, I actually, I mean, if anybody followed me on social media, you saw me post that cool, cool poster for it. I know. <laughs> That's why I asked the question. I knew the answer. <laughs> uh, I, I'm right. I'm, I'm working. I'm making tweaks. I'm making. I'm making tweaks to the script. I know because I've been in contact with a lot of actors that I'd like to work with, and they keep asking about it. Keep asking about it. And the script is just. It's 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 difficult because I'm trying to do the story justice. I'm trying to continue it in a in a way that kind of amps up the you know amps up everything that that made the original what it was so i want it to be a lot more grander i want it to be i want to have it be more complex more layers to it so i've literally been trying to work on the script and get it where i want it to be and have it make um logical sense uh and it's difficult it's really difficult writing a sequel is probably the most difficult thing i've done um and in, in fact, I kind of just kind of turned away from it for a, for a few minutes and started working on another script that I've been working on for a long time, just to give myself a little break from it. But it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I, de- I mean, I have the basic storyline already um, in my mind. Uh, the one cool thing about it now, and I think, you know, it's going to kind of suck because somebody might steal the idea, is that it, it, it takes place on Halloween instead of Christmas. Um, I love it kind that. of blends the two holidays together. Uh, yeah. And, you know, we, and I have to get it done because the whole script basis relies on the character of Kyle, who is portrayed by the magnificent Billy Brannigan, who I love to death. His character comes back. So I have to do it before he gets too old and doesn't look like he's like 50. <laughs> and, you know, that it could pull off that it was like a year later, you know, because the story picks up about a year later when he returns to the campus um, it's part of a fraternity and just so happens that a lot of people have suspicions that he has, he was the one that was responsible. He had more to do with the Mrs. Claus killings as they're known now than he originally let on. Um, so there's a lot of people suspicious of this. See, you guys are getting the insight of what this could be about. A lot of people are suspicious of him that he was more involved, especially with his girlfriend, Danielle going missing. Um, you get to know, you'll find out kind of what happened with that whole thing. There's a lot of people on campus that are suspicious of him, and it just happens that there's a, good, a big old Halloween party gathering uh, taking place. And lo and behold, it's really popular at this college campus now for people to dress up as Mrs. Claus for Halloween. Because why not? The killings happened here. The Mrs. Claus killer was here. So you get Mrs. Cla- a bunch of Mrs. Claus lurking around, and then people start getting killed, and tons of red herrings, and what... Who could be killing people this time and why? I don't know. My goodness, you heard it here first, folks. We just got the synopsis for for Mrs. Claus too, and I did not know that was coming. So thank you, Troy, for sharing such a uh, meaty meaty updates with us. We'll see how many people listen now because oh yeah. well, they're going to be knocking on the door asking to be part of it. Um, and li- with a w- thank God with Hollywood nowadays with the magic of CGI, we can de-age all of your actors for <laughs> for a mere budget of several million dollars. All of these actors with their with their faces sandblasted, uh, looking like marble, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> or the glory of prosthetics, all looking like they're twelve years old. 
<laughs> but that's so cool, man. I'm so I'm so excited that you're doing a sequel. I love sequels. Um, just to see, like, I mean, you know, you have success with a film, and why wouldn't you want to see that that story enhanced and elaborated upon? You know, and uh, especially when you're able to bring back characters. Like, I love being able to revisit characters I enjoy. So I'm so happy that you're uh, you're considering doing that. And um, you know, I will keep you updated all on here regarding Mrs. Clark. I will, I will, and it's it's going to be a challenge because I wrote this really elaborate really elaborate opening scene um it, it's 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 really cool um it's the opening kill um and it it's it it's the opening kill but it's really grand and in, in, in scale and it, it, it takes about 20 pages to get to the actual death scene but the build-up is extremely worth it the setting that the kill happens in is amazing and I think it would get people really excited. But like I said, it, we, we just have to see because there's still things like budget, um, you know, raising the money and all that fun stuff. But if you haven't seen it, there's a Mrs. Claus 2 Facebook group that I started to kind of post news about the movie. I'll, I'll get the script finished. Um, and you can go, go, go see that. Go take a gander of the of the poster um, because it's really, really a good poster. It's. I love the poster. Yeah, Casey Casey Booth is the artist, and it, I think it blends what I was looking for perfectly, and that was Christmas and Halloween. Uh, yeah, it, it perfectly captures that. Like, I got to say, one, and one of the main draws I had in working with you was like right off the bat, your poster art is always like on it, um, and this is, I, I dare say, maybe my favorite. Like, really, it is. So, I, I mean, if it alludes to anything, like if the script is anything like the poster art. I'm on. Yeah, board. it's it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. It'll be, you know, I with the sequel, you got to you got to, you know, it's the rules, you know, it has to be the body cut has to be bigger, you know, has to be more or less. Yeah. So we shall see. But anyways, enough about that. We need to talk about the wonderful Christmas slasher fest that is Mother Krampus 2. Iconic. <laughs> well, <laughs> the Christmas classic. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really fun. but Roger you have to admit it really is cool and I don't care I've I, no but listen it used to bother me I, I will be 100% honest when people would comment and say that my film is trash or yeah. stupid because I see for, I see people on Facebook post that they're watching Mrs. Claus and there's always the inevitable yeah. someone random comments oh this movie sucked it was so bad whatever I don't care it, hey at least people are watching <laughs> they're watching it every it. year it's so cool I mean that's the good thing about having a holiday slasher is people are going to watch it every year. Uh, oh, dude. I just watched a video review. I just got to say really quick, this video review, these two guys who reviewed Mother Krampus 1 and 2, and like, when they got to Mother Krampus 2, the one guy is literally like, I fucking hate this movie so much. I hate it. And he just, but like, he, his passion for it, like, he was so invested, and they, like, they dove into all the reasons why, and in a way, I was flattered, because I've never made, like, the fact that I can make somebody feel that much emotion I'm, I'm doing something right i had some kind of an impact yeah. on I, I just go you know I, I just i love going to the imdb every once in a while and just reading the reviews and it's oh, scathing <laughs> all right let's go let's rip off the but you can't blame people because these people are not used to movies that are made on a ten thousand dollar budget they're 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 
I remember at one post, somebody in uh, one of the IMDb reviews of Mrs. Claus says, oh, this movie is worse. The worst horror. I thought, the, I thought Bye Bye Man was the worst horror film of the year until I saw this. I'm like, dude, okay, so you're comparing a film with a $5 million budget to my little $10,000 budget film. Perfect. I'll take it. I'll take it. But anyways, Mother Campus 2, because I know people are just dying to hear about this film. Oh, goodness. Oh. I can't wait. <laughs> uh, okay, so first thing I noticed, Mr. Connors, I didn't know you were, you, you know, I know you were a director and an actor. I didn't know you were a screenwriter. <laughs> but you, 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 you have a screenwriting credit on this film. So is that, I do. is that in fact true? Uh, yeah. Okay, so here's the deal, man. Um, so I had worked with the director, Eddie Langell, like on numerous occasions. We go back to like, I was like, my first time I worked with him, I was, I was 20. I turned 21 on his set for Voodoo Rising. Um, so come around to Mother Krampus 2, and I wasn't originally involved in the, in the film. The, the role that I ended up playing was originally cat, it was meant to be for just girls. And um, so when he brought me on and cast me in the role of Athena and decided to take it the route he was taking it, um, you know, he's not, a, he's not gay. Um, he, though he did DJ at gay bars back in the eighties and well, so he has a knowledge, but he's like, we got to make sure she's like, she speaks a certain way. She talks a certain way. Cause the character, I mean, she's a, she's a cocaine addict. She's a drug addict and a hooker and a drag queen. Um, so we like collaborated and came up with this really specific character of this very like not glamorous drag queen. She's sweaty and gross, but she's got like a heart of gold. So it started off with me really like working on her dialogue specifically. And, and uh, we ended up, I ended up writing a chunk of the film, the opening 15 minutes and the closing, the whole finale I wrote Um, like the whole opening in the house, because there was, we went back, we had to go back and do some reshoots as you do. And we didn't have access to one of the actors so that well, the actress that plays Dorothea um, uh, scheduling. We just couldn't make it happen. So the whole thing with the, the escaped mental patient and the mask and that that's me the whole time. I'm actually playing both the mask killer and lady Athena. So there are scenes where there's a body double playing who I'm, whoever I'm interacting with. And I'm like, I fight myself in the film. It's very difficult, but yeah. So like th- those are my hairy legs and we opted to like not do shaved legs because the characters in a mental institution, but I am, you can actually see the back of my tattoo on my neck in one shot. Um, but that was all I wrote, all those sequences, everything with the house burning, the fire sequence. I wrote that uh, everything in the center like the dialogue parts and all that, that was, that was mostly Eddie, but I did write the opening 15 and the closing 15 minutes of the film. And then Athena's dialogue. Bits. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. I did know I did cause I watched the film again last night cause I knew we were doing this today. And I, I, I did notice the hairy legs this time. I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's kind of cool. But we had a conversation about like what we wanted to do with that. We're like, well, she's in an insane asylum. Like she wouldn't be allowed to have razors. She would like, we opted to keep the legs hairy. Uh, we purposely did that. Yeah. Yeah, the openings. Yeah, that opening is pretty is pretty effective. I think the the with the opening slaughter of the the poor family, um, <laughs> it is really effective. So yeah, that's really cool. Um, speaking of Lady Athena Slay, uh, that is such a you know larger than life character, um, and I, I can't imagine that anybody that watches the film isn't intrigued or just like. 
has a blast with that with that character um, because it really is that's really the I guess the most charismatic um, even though she's you know foul mouthed and and whatnot like I think likable character in the film. I like her little jabs at the at the at Dorothea, like where she when Dorothea when the, the Dorothea says, "Oh yes, I have a broom," and Athena says, "Well, yeah, but you flew in on it too." It's just these little jabs she takes. Very in, in, engaging character. Um, I've no, I mean, I've never seen. I mean, it's some, definitely a different type of character than I've ever seen you play before. So, was, how did you prepare for? Is, is is drag something you have experience with, Roger? Were you a big old drag queen in the eighties and in, or the nineties in Cleveland? Or what? Because you have a you you have a whole full fledged drag number and everything in this film. You know. In my like early twenties, for about five years, I did do drag. I did, yeah, I did, I did, and um, and it was kind of just like a very ex, like it was a time of exploration for me, you know, um, because I was like really like figuring out who I was as a as a gay man, and you know, my mask versus my femme side, and where do I fall with that? And so, yeah, I did drag when I was younger, and I had a really good experience with it, and um, it was very fun. Uh, but so when it came to this character and Eddie the director, Eddie knew that um, and was like, what if we took it this route? Cause he has this like funny obsession with like the queer culture, even though he's not queer, you know, having worked in gay bars and DJing in them, he knows a lot about it. And he's like, what if we did this and really played towards what was now at that point, my developing fan base was a lot of gay horror fans. Um, and I was completely open to it. And we did try a whole like first concept. Like I have a photo of it. She looked totally different. She was way more glamorous, uh, dark hair, like black hair. Um, the face was painted pretty, like really immaculate. Um, but it just was one of those things, like you've got these girls that are on parole, like you have a stripper and everything. And I was like, I kind of want to make her rough. Like she's not, when you think of like streetwalking hookers, gotta love them, making their, making their money however they can. Um, you don't necessarily think of someone who's painted like, you know, to take the stage. Um, and the whole holiday shtick, the whole reason Athena's dressed up is kind of to be a, a dick. You know, she's being annoying because she doesn't have to be dressed up like that. And, and Paula, you know, the um, their parole officer, she even makes comments about it. Athena's just being an ass. That's who she is. But um, we purposely chose to make her rough around the edges. And that really led into like that dialogue, that, that really like kind of nasty, bitchy dialogue. Get really confident in herself because she really doesn't give a fuck. Um, it was really fun developing her. A lot of those jabs and a lot of those little one-liners were all improv, uh, just because I know a lot of Queens, I know how they talk, you know? So yeah, even the dance number, like, it's not like it's something where I was like, this girl is taking the stage and she's going to be doing splits. No, she's just being a, a dick, you know, Athena's just being herself and, uh, she likes that all eyes are on her. Um, and she was just really fun to play and, and, and very relatable for me because I know a lot of those those queens, those rougher queens who uh, want to break into the scene but don't necessarily yeah. have the means yeah, to, was, you know? That was a very fun performance. Very fun. Very fun character. Very fun performance. You you totally look like you were having a blast with it. That's That that definitely has shown through. But what would you say is your, like, favorite scene from the film? Um, I would say, like, in the sense of, like, executing it, my favorite moment, and probably my proudest moment from the movie, and because I just, like, pulled this out of my ass 
the, the fire sequence towards the end of the movie where Caitlin Newberry plays Victoria. And this was also, this was my black Christmas hat tip because I wanted to have something in it. And I was, so that whole stairway sequence where she's like, Paula, she's screaming like, Paula, the house is on fire. Paula, where are you? Like, that was very much like the, the equivalent of like, of the Olivia Hussey at the bottom of the stairwell. Uh, Please answer me. You know, like, I was like, I want to capture, I, any fan of Black Christmas is going to know that this moment is like a wink to the audience. But that whole sequence, we like literally created it with like gels, with good lighting and a smoke machine. And like, I'm really proud of how it turned out. It, it, it looks the the effect looks better than it should have um, with the with the sound effect of like the crackling and she's having to run upstairs because all the doors are locked like that building climax at the end of the movie um, I think is is one of the payoffs and I'm really proud of that whole sequence yeah it definitely gives the film uh, uh, definitely a higher budget feel to it because you don't really see a lot of that in in, in the film that has the budget that Mother Krampus two did. So yeah, definitely impressive. Looks cool, uh, executed very well. Now, just uh, was this always meant to be a Christmas theme? Christmas themed film? I mean, was was that? Did you guys say okay, we're set out to make a Christmas themed slasher, or did it just? Yeah. So originally, I mean, Eddie was planning this before I was involved. He originally was entitling it Sleigh Bells, and then there was another movie that was announced called Sleigh Bells, um, and then it changed to like this movie, The Naughty List, was a second. Which was my personal favorite because you know how with distro companies you had the same thing. Um, they changed it to Mother Krampus Two. We're in no way related to Mother Krampus One, n- nor did we plan to be. We had no intention of riding on those coattails, um, and I know it even offended like the filmmakers of the first film, and I get why. This literally was just a distro deal where after it was signed on, they just attached it to that film, and we were kind of thrown up, thrown off by it. But I mean, whatever it is, what it is. But yeah, no, the original title was naughty list and then that went to lady krampus because the 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 distro company was like we really want the term krampus involved and then they ended up calling it mother krampus too um i mean that just seems silly to me because there's no connection to krampus at all um and i really hope a lot of people listen to this because i i there was someone on facebook i in one of the horror groups that posted i don't know if you saw it or not maybe if you did i think if you did you probably he posted he was the poster of uh, mother krampus too and this long rant about how it sucked and the fact that it was trying to ride on the coattails of the first one, even though I had, and I wanted to respond, Hey, that was not the intention at all, because I know, I know we've talked about this and it's the same thing with like Mrs. Claus, my distributor changed the title and then gave it very misleading artwork, much like your film has very misleading artwork that you would not know what the film was about, but yeah. So I was just curious. Yeah. I'm, I'm very thankful for like the opportunity to get distro as with any situation. But it, one thing that happens in a lot of, you know, if you're a filmmaker and you're listening to this, you know that like you lose a lot of control, at least on this level, because you're relying on these smaller distro companies to get your product out there. And in their mind, it's by whatever means necessary. If that means a title change or that means poster art that, is misleading or, you know, I, I'd say more films, I have more films that I've been in that have had their title changed than not um, at this point, which is, is, is kind of unfortunate because when you're creating this product, like that's, you have a vision, I'm sure with stirring I mean, stirring is a great title. I completely get why you'd call it stirring. I don't know why they wouldn't want to call it stirring, but it is what it is, you know? 
Well, I think they gave the same. They gave me the same runaround they gave you. I think in, in the fact that they said that it would sell better um, because uh, they could they could capitalize on the the whole Christmas thing, the Mrs. Claus thing, year after year after year. Um, so I don't know. I mean, whatever. I mean, they, they, that's one thing people need to realize is once you get once you sign with the distributor, you're giving them permission to change your title, change your artwork. And they're going to do it for the, you know, um, they try to change artwork to party night to something very generic. And luckily they did not do it because what they were going to change it to was horrific. But yeah, so yeah, I just, yeah, you look at the poster art for Mother Krampus 2 and Mrs. Claus and they're very misleading. Yours especially. Yeah, it's, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It makes it seem like it's going to be like a fantasy. And I think people go in expecting something with a Krampus, which makes sense. The title's in it. But I think what they were thinking with the disco title is, you know, a Krampus goes after naughty children, mother Krampus. This is, this is like her, just like you have a leather face or anything. She calls herself mother Krampus because she goes after the naughty girls. So like, I mean, I think that was their reasoning, but like, that's not we never even say the term Krampus in the film it's it's not related yeah the general viewer isn't gonna get that either but uh, yeah I mean eh, it is you gotta deal with it um so the killer's look you had mentioned that uh, because you said you had come up with it um so how is that decided were there any other like options for the killer considered um like for Mrs. Claus, I always knew the killer was going to be dressed as Mrs. Claus. I mean, that was just a given. Yeah. So the killer's costume, originally she did not have an, uh, an alternate costume. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole thing with the family getting killed at the beginning of the movie and the nurse, the in-home nurse getting killed, we like, that's a matter of editing. So we filmed everything with this, you know, she's escaped from an asylum. She has this mask. Uh, She's, you know, she comes in, she kills everybody. Then there's a sequence where she like walks into the bathroom and you see her change. You see like the mask go into the sink and then you see like a mirror shot. And it's literally like we reversed this mirror shot to show her getting dressed because originally it was her disrobing. We reversed it and made it look like she was changing into the clothing of the older woman she killed. That was that was a rewrite that I made that whole thing, because that was not originally part of the script. It was, we had to adjust things to make it work. So that mask, the mask was something that the director really wanted to use this mask. He'd gotten permission from this company to use it. And um, he was just really sold on it a lot. I we've heard a lot of complaints that it looks too Michael Myers, which I get. Um, I had nothing to do with the mask. I put together the, um, the, in like the escaped insane asylum. Like I got the, um, hospital gown, the blue robe, the soot, like I did all of that and the burns and everything. Cause basically it's implied that she burned the asylum down. So they weren't able to find out who died in the, the fire until eventually they realized it was her. Um, but the mask was, was on the director. Um, but yeah, that was honestly all added in because we needed basically an additional 30 minutes of film. Um, and, and, I'm thankful because I will say I feel the strongest parts of the film are the opening and the closing of the movie. You know, I mean, that's when the real suspense and tension takes place. Yeah, you know? yeah I would agree. I would agree. I, I, I mean, I'm not, I, the, the film's fun. It's a fun film. Uh, yeah. But you're right. The action takes place. It's, it's very much the, the beginning and the end. It's bookended. Yeah. Yeah. And in the middle, it's a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of, um, 
tension in the the middle part of the film. Uh, right. So yeah, I, I get that. How long how long did filming take? I mean, honestly, it took about probably three years because we went back and had to redo a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. We started filming it. Um, I think two thousand fourteen, maybe. And then obviously it came out 2018. So yeah, I'd say about three years. And then like with final editing and everything. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, we went back and did pickups for the, like I said, the opening and the closing, those were both filmed separately. Um, that whole finale with the upstairs and we, we've purposely tried to find ways to tie everything with like the girls in the house to the family in the house prior. So it didn't seem like it was shoehorned in. So like when Caitlin Victoria, you know, is upstairs, she finds the body of the one girl and it's like a kind of decomposed or there's the scene where, um, where Tiffany, um, uh, uh, Tiffany Hilton actress, she's, she smells something and she's like, what does that smell? And that was, I mean, that was just something that was in the original dialogue. And I was like, well, that's the body. Let's make sure we use that room for where the older woman is killed. Because Paula and and, um, and Victoria find the woman covered in maggots, the body, you know. So we had to find all these ways to kind of be like, let's be creative and make sure that the two stories, the family and then the girls, tie together and feel like a natural conclusion, uh, which was difficult because it was, like I said, it was a few years later. But um, we made it work. Yeah, you did. You did because it doesn't. You would never know that it was film, that it was filmed over a course of that many years. Yeah, where you know Mrs. Claus was filmed basically in sixteen days, all straight together, right in a row. Um, everything was done within that that time frame. I'm so envious. <laughs> I'm so envious of that. I I can't imagine what that feels like. <laughs> it's, it's it's nice. It's nice because I I can't imagine working on something over a course of three years. It's soul crushing. <laughs> Yeah. What about? Well, no, it was filmed. You're, you're from Cleveland. It was filmed in, in Cleveland. What, what about the locations? Were those houses that you were like people like the director yeah. there or? Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, so that main house. So one thing about Cleveland is like I live in an area where like we have a lot of historical houses, beautiful historical houses, and luckily Michelle, the owner of the main house lived in this beautiful uh, home right in like the middle of the neighborhood where I was living at that time. And very generously let us film there. Michelle actually plays the in-home nurse, the one who gets killed in the beginning, who's cutting the chicken breast. Um, but she, I mean, she generously let us film there. Um, and that house is perfect. Like that house, it really is. The, the location adds so much to the movie. Um, and we didn't really have to trick anything other than the basement. We used a different basement for that one sequence. But all the way up to the attic, that's all her house. And um, we did film an attic extension. We did film because that her attic was just a bit too cramped. But, like, we did still show, like, the main flight in her attic. Like, that stairwell going up and everything. It's just very effective. So um, we were very lucky with that. Um, then um, uh, Chrissy... Caleric, uh, who um, I've worked with on several films, she played Lilith Ratchet in The Curse of Lilith Ratchet, um, and she played Victoria's mother in a cameo in this film. She was the one that got us the um, the homeless shelter location. And then, I mean, there weren't a ton of locations. There's that store sequence, which is like a, um, a cool queer store here in the Cleveland area called Dean Rufus House of Fun. 
and he let us film there because he's always all decked out for the holidays. So we thought that was perfect. But like, luckily, all these locations had some really awesome holiday decor and we were able to really play them out and really make it feel festive, you know? Yeah, it looks great. Yeah, we're, yeah you're lucky there. Um, which is one of the reasons why I kept Mrs. Claus almost to one location because it was June in Houston. So anywhere we would have filmed outside of the house, we would have had to have decked out in Christmas stuff. So that's one of the reasons why it stays in one, one location. Let me, let me, Oh, I lost. My, okay. So a couple more questions here and then we can kind of, is there anything that you would change about the film or your performance? You asked me this question. A lot, a lot. I mean, it was a very stressful process um there's a lot of things that like you know you I, I know you've had to probably experience this as well but like in the moment uh, when you're filming there's a lot of things that just don't translate the way you want them to and you have to work around it um and heads butts and people disagree on things and uh things are stressful and you don't have the someone forgot the right prop like i, I mean plenty of things have gone wrong on these sets and this one was no different. And, um, the one thing that was rough was like, you know, uh, I've, I often spin a lot of plates. I wear a lot of hats on these sets and I've learned that I need to step back with doing that. But with this one, like I ended up taking a lot on my shoulders and I feel like when you're doing too much and you're acting it, uh, it can affect your performance. So there's some things with Athena where I really love that I was given like the freedom to do certain things. And there's other areas where I was like, God, I wish I had more time um, to perfect this or to have done this a little bit tighter or, or, you know, said this line a little bit differently. But I think that's just the job of an actor. Like you'll never be completely satisfied with what you do. But um, I mean, overall, Athena, I would say it's probably been also my like richest role in the sense of like people acknowledging her. I do get a lot of love. I get like, if I get a message about anything from someone I don't know, if anyone's going to reach out to me, it's going to be because of that film. Most likely I'd say eight out of 10 times. Um, and she's gotten a lot of positive feedback. And I know a lot of people like how queer positive it is because she's a drag queen, but like that's acknowledged, but she's also like one of the girls, like the girls love her. You know, she's like one of the, 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 one of the group. So I do appreciate that aspect, but yeah, I mean, even the aspect of, I would have probably done a different mask and, and, Maybe if we had more time knowing what we were doing with the storyline with the killer, really tie that together a little bit tighter. Um, and there were a few scenes that got cut that I wish would have made it into the final cut. But like, yet again, with timing, like, what are you going to do? But overall, like, I'm proud of the film. I learned a lot. I learned so much uh, on that set, um, especially like ADing at times that like, for all of the pitfalls and how rough it was at times. I'm appreciative of the experience. So uh, it was still a payoff in the end of the day, but yeah, Oh, there's plenty I would have changed for sure. Well, yeah, that was one of my little notes is that I really liked the chemistry that, that, uh, that you guys had together. The, the four mate, the four girl characters had really great chemistry. I know you and Caitlin in real life are really good friends. That probably helped. And it was, it really is, um, a queer positive portrayal because of the fact that you said that lady Athena is just one of the girls. It very much is that way. They don't treat her any differently. Um, she is really treated as one of the girls. And what's really interesting. And I thought this was a really kind of very positive touch is even the, 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 the killer Dorothea, the killer being this horrible person, 
uh, and this very judgmental person as she comes across very, very like religious. She's quoting, you know, scriptures and stuff like that. She doesn't even seem to have a problem with the fact that Lady Athena is, is a drag queen. She never really mentions it or gives it any jabs. She kind of treats her like she's one of the girls. She calls her darling. I mean, it's very, I thought that was a very uh, smart route to go because I think a lot of films or a lot of filmmakers would have made the villain make snide comments about the fact that the character was a drag queen. You know what I mean? And it really didn't happen in this film. Yeah, we could have leaned a lot heavier into those criticisms. We do have that whole sequence with, like, towards the end where I wake up and I'm, I, you know, I'm tied to the the wheelchair and she's like, I'm dressed like a boy. Um, and that was really supposed to be like that, ex- the furthest extent that we took that with her being like, this is how you're supposed to be. But we didn't, like, we could have gone way more toxic with that dialogue and we opted not to because we knew that if any audience was watching it for me, it was likely a queer audience. And, and we wanted to keep it respectful. And even with the interpretation of Athena, where she is supposed to be a drag queen, there's an aspect of certain viewers could take it as if she trans. Like, and I'm not trans, uh, nor am I trying to play a trans character. But at least this character is very confident in portraying herself as a woman. And while my interpretation is meant to be a drag queen, if it was taken a certain way, I don't want it to be offensive, you know? So we really did watch our dialogue uh, and what we yeah. did, you know, because we didn't want to offend anybody, you know? Yeah. And it's very, yeah, I thought, I thought that was a very uh, clever way to go because like I said, I feel like a lot of other filmmakers would have made the, the villainous character make com- make snide comments or derogatory comments about the fact that the character is a drag queen. And she really doesn't. And, and, but there is, yeah, the scene at the end where you wake up and you're changed into, into boys' clothes and you have your, all your makeup's off your face, your wig's off. But that just doesn't feel like it's being, you know demeaning or derogatory just like you said it feels like an extension of that the villainous character and her her personal beliefs but it's not done in a mean-spirited sort of way right um so i i appreciated that uh yeah but no that that that's great they're great it's great we got to talk about these films and give people some insight into the christmas classics that are mrs claus and mother krampus too absolutely Um, yeah anything i mean anything else from the from that film you kind of experience or anything that you'd like to share? I mean, I'll say the one really amazing takeaway I had with it is, is I, that's the set I met Caitlin Newbury on. And uh, Caitlin is now one of my very best friends and we've worked together on several films since. And um, yeah, I mean, like, it's just, it is, uh, we mentioned this earlier, but having a holiday film in the genre, um, it is kind of like a gift that keeps on giving in the sense that people are always discovering it from, from like early November till like early January, I always know that there are going to be people who are going to, for better or worse, discover this film. And um, you don't really have a lot of these films that we make, they kind of just like fade away because so many horror movies come out every year. Um, and unless you have one that really just hits a certain note, they kind of just get buried. But when it comes to a Christmas horror movie, you know it's going to kind of have a mini resurgence every holiday season. And I'm really thankful for that. And for every individual who's hated Mother Krampus too, I know that there's been somebody else who's been like, I see exactly what they're trying to do with this. And I very much enjoyed it. Um, and I'm thankful to that. So um, I thank you. If there's any listeners on here who turn, tuned in for either of us to hear us talk about our films, um, I, we appreciate you.
definitely, you know, and, and you're the reason that we do this. So um, we're going to keep on doing it, but thank you for supporting our craft. What about you, Troy? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I feel like that's, I feel like some filmmakers are maybe catching wind that doing a, a holiday themed slasher movie, particularly Christmas is kind of a good idea because it will get um, attention year after year if it's good. Uh, because there are so there are several actually Christmas horror movies that don't really get any attention because they just weren't good. Um, and I'm not saying that in a mean spirited way or saying that our the, the our films are good, whatever. But there are some that have dropped into obscurity. So you just have to you just have to craft something that's a little bit different. You know, I think my my angle with the with the difference between other my film and other Christmas films is that the killer is Mrs. Claus. You don't see that. My film was really the first film that you had Mrs. Claus be the villain. I mean, one thing we both share is our films are the rare scenario of having female killers. Yeah, you don't, you just don't get that that often. That's something like, and it, that's one of the weird ironies that we both have is not only do we both have holiday horror movies, we both have holiday horror movies that boast their slashers that boast uh, a female killer, and those are just rare in the genre to begin with. Well, and they're both they're both pretty brutal ass killers. Too. Yeah, they are. They are. Before we wrap up, let's. Be, I really hope people tuned in and listened to this because I actually think it was very insightful. I learned a lot about you and your film, and, and, and so and I think it's very insightful. I think it'll give people maybe an insight into um, the whole process of making a film and, and what goes into it. But before we go, let's both give like maybe five recommendations for holiday horror films that people should watch. And we both know. Let's not say Black Christmas because we both know we would say that. Um, so what are some Christmas themed horror films that you think fans absolutely need to check out all through the house? Oh my God. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Todd Nunez. Uh, I love that film to death. I actually had the, I actually had the pleasure of seeing that film, um, on a big screen. Uh, it was, Mm. it was in, um, Peoria, Illinois back in 2016 and it played at a film festival called the Drunken Zombie Film Festival, which had it, which is, I don't even know if it's still around, but it was, it was at a, fe- a huge theater. And I saw it on the big screen and I was just, in, I was engrossed. Um, that is a film. Yes, please check it out. It's, it's, it drips Christmas atmosphere. Um, it's brutal. brutal. The killer looks awesome. Um, there are yeah. so many nods to other Christmas themed horror films. I know the fact that Todd Nunez is a huge Christmas horror fan himself. And actually I had the pleasure because I love the film so much. I actually reached out to him on Facebook and interviewed him. So I have an interview with him um, on my site, frightmeter.com, which is my, my horror blog that you can read. And he really goes into detail about his love for Christmas, the Christmas slasher film. He was very supportive of Stirring slash Mrs. Claus. He's an awesome guy, but that film, yes. If you haven't seen it, check it out. An amazingly creepy performance by Melinda Keurig. Um, so that's a great one. That's a great one. Yeah. Probably my, what about my you? favorite Christmas-themed slasher that has come out in, in the last several years. Okay, so I will say one that really intrigues me, and I mentioned it earlier, but I don't think enough people have seen it, is To All a Good Night directed by David Hess. Uh, I think it came out in 80 or 81 and it it's the first like well if you if you don't count the the um and all through the house segment that was on ta- the tales from the crypt um it's the first real killer santa claus movie out there. Um and it's 
quirky. Um, there are a lot of things about it that are just odd. It has this kind of odd ethereal feel to it when you're watching it. Have you seen it? To all a good night? I've not seen well, it. Maybe it has no. to be in one of our episodes. Absolutely. You keep opening my eyes. But it takes place at a sorority house and um, where it opens very similarly to prom night. And then you flash forward a few years later and the girls are staying at this weird, odd looking sorority house for Christmas break. And they've, their boyfriends fly in on, air, on an airplane, which is odd, and to spend the weekend with them. And someone in a killer or a Santa Claus suit, suit starts killing them off one by one in very gruesome ways. And, but you have to watch the Blu-ray version because the original VHS version is just so dark. You can't see anything, but yeah, it's, it's really good. It's, it's really a, a cool film. Um, I'm adding it to my list as we speak. Yeah, it inspired, like, there's a lot of stuff from it that inspired uh, Stirring as well. Okay, I mean, you keep, you keep uh, introducing me to these titles I'm falling in love with, so I trust you. I trust you. Um, I'm going to say the, the Silent Night, Deadly Night remake from, like, 2000 was it like 2016 maybe i don't know you know it came out a few years ago i thought it was a really well handled remake i'm not always huge on remakes but i um i thought it was brutal i thought it had some great performances in it i thought malcolm mcdowell was very over the top but i have no issue with that whatsoever have you seen that one? Oh, i've seen it i, I love that one i think it is honestly i think it's one of the better remakes out there uh, i love the fact that the director i think is stephen Miller, I, I I believe Stephen somebody, but he, um, I love the fact that he did something. He kind of he took the concept and did something completely different with it, but also gave lots of nods to the original film. Mm-hmm, like you still get you still get the whole deer deer antler impalement. Um, you yeah, but it's it's fucking brutal. That is for sure. There's that scene that still gets me every time where he he puts the girl in the wood chipper. Oh my god, it's so gruesome! Or what about like the the, the full on axe head split, where you literally just see the head like you see the most amazing head bust I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, the the gore in that movie is really great. And um, is it is it Marley Shelton? No, it's not. Who is that? No, it's um Jamie King. Jamie King. I always get them confused. Yeah, Jamie King is becoming kind of like her own little scream queen with some of these last titles she's had. She was in and yeah, because she was in the My Bloody Valentine remake too. She was, and then she was also in um, the Tripper. Um, uh, she was a lead in that, um, but she yeah no. So she's she's great in this film. I think she's actually great, um, and it's just yeah, just a great cast, great Christmas imagery brutal deaths the death of a child that girl who gets tasered like <laughs> just everything you could ask for and a bag of chips um let me think one more that i would recommend is from 2008 called the children children, the children. and it's about a couple of families that gather at a house uh, for christmas um and basically I'm trying to remember because it's been a few years since it's, it, this is really gruesome too. There's some sort of, one of the kids goes in the woods, I think, and comes back and is very, it is really, really sick. And basically what has happened is he caught some sort of virus or something that makes kids kill. So these, the kids start killing off their parents um, at this remote house. And it's very fucking gruesome. I mean, these kids are brutal 
brutal. Like, and it's so horrific to see like little kids, like eight year old kids killing their parents in such horrific damn ways. Like the one kid shoves a crayon in his mom's eyeball and it's just, it's over the top bonkers and it has kind of a bleak ending, but it's one that I don't get, I don't see talked about a lot, but it's, it's, it doesn't necessarily drip the Christmas atmosphere that you maybe would expect, but it is very snowy. It is Christmas time. Um, and you have these little fuckers that are just brutally killing their parents. And it's, there's some really effective scenes. That's one you should check out. I think it was one of the eight films to die for. Remember when they did that series? Yeah. 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 I remember hearing this title too, because I was reading on the list of, this makes me sound like I'm a sick human being, but I was reading a list of films about children who kill. <laughs> and that was, that was mentioned. And I love seeing a child kill. Uh, so um, I'll have to watch it. And then um, the, the, the last one I want to throw out, and I'm blanking on the title and I don't know why it's on Netflix. It's pretty recent. It's a film about a girl who is babysitting a boy during the Christmas season. What is it called? Better watch out. Better watch out. I knew it was like another line from a Christmas song. Um, I really enjoyed it. I watched it not during the Christmas season. I just watched it because it was available and I'd heard good things. But I was really pleasantly surprised by the twist. Um, and again, some really great performances and some some brutal sequences. Uh, but that one I found very fun. Yeah, yeah, I I like that one. I watched it recently, and you know what's funny is I did not know that there were. It was maybe as of a, a a divisive film as it is because another um, queer themed horror podcast covered it recently, and they got into something that I personally never even thought about when I watched the film. So I'm not going to really get into what it, what it is, but it has to do with uh, misogyny and. Um, that sort of thing because of the what what happens in the film and why it happens. I just never thought about it that way. I just thought it was like, oh, this is kind of a fun little you know film. But I guess there's people that think that it's not so fun and is is triggering. Um, but yeah, the twist is cool. There's that cool Home Alone death that is pretty brutal. Yeah, that's one though that I. Th- I don't think that when I mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned the fact that there are Christmas themed horror films that necessarily aren't Christmassy. And I think that's one that doesn't really use Christmas as a plot device, but more as a set piece uh, because, because mm-hmm. Chris, this that's film fair. really does not have anything to do with like Christmas at all. Christmas is not part of the plot. The store just happens to take place on Christmas. So you get a house that's decorated, yeah. but it's not like Silent Night, Deadly Night that ha- that Christmas is essential to the plot. Um, so, but yeah, it's still it's still loads of. I think it's loads of fun. I can see now listening to that podcast, that other podcast episode, why some people may have an issue with it. But I mean, I think that it's still yeah. loads of fun. Um, the last one, because we've been doing this for a while, the last and people are probably sick of hearing this. The last one that I will mention is. Um, Oh, it's a tie, but I'm going to say P2. Oh, I love P2. I would never have expected you to say P2. I totally forget that's a Christmas movie. <laughs> it is. It is. You know, it's, it's um, you know, the, you know, the girl gets kidnapped by a hot Wes Bent- Bentley oh, after a Christmas. Yeah, he's hot in that movie. He's psychotic, but he's hot. Um, and she, he's basically terrorizes her the whole, the whole film. Yeah. It kind of has a very one set, you know, it's one set piece, which is a parking garage. 
Um, there's some really awesome cat and mouse chase scenes. There's some pretty brutal deaths. Um, a great dress. A great dress. <gasps> yeah. Another one that I'm just going to throw this out here too is um, ATM. I think takes place at Christmas, the, the, doesn't it? It's the Christmas party, and they get trapped in that. Yeah, house. with the three the three uh, coworkers. Yeah, what a bleak ending. It reminded me of P2 yeah. in, in terms of being one one setting. Yeah. But yeah, those are our recommendations. So if you haven't seen any of them, check them out. Um, there's plenty more we could talk about, but we got to get going. We've talked your ear off for over an hour now. So My goodness. Yeah. Well, you know what? When you're having this much fun, time flies. And remind people what our next um, episode is going to be. I can't wait. Next episode. Hello, Mary Lou. Prom Night 2. A classic. Iconic. Iconic. The hair alone. The fashion. We're going to talk about all of it. But uh, until then, to all of our fans who tuned in, we thank you for uh, giving us so much of your time uh, and listening to us ramble. And uh, I can't wait to get, uh, get back with you, Troy, and dive into this next film. But until then, I hope you have a wonderful Christmas. Uh, for all of our fans, whatever you may celebrate, I hope it is uh, beautiful and pure this holiday season. We all need a little love right now. Um, and we'll be back soon to talk about some vicious, violent cinema. We are ready for 2021, and we have already talked about our plans for 2021. We're excited to, to grow this podcast, grow our listeners, and get, get, get this little gay little gay show going. Oh, it's going to get gay. It's going to get real gay. Yeah. <laughs> But yes, everyone, have a great holiday. Try to be optimistic. And, you know, 2021's right around the corner. We made it through this year. And yeah, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Roger, I will. Bala fucking la, Troy. <laughs> All right, guys. Happy holidays. Troy, you have a good one. You too. You too. Until next time. <laughs>